truth is not in us. The Holy Spirit affects our relationship with our brothers. And when we let him, he will unify us. Now notice I did not use the term uniformity. There is a difference between unity and uniformity. You see, unity is divine and human and uniformity is human. God alone makes us the subject of sacred unity while uniformity is the product of man. The Bible does not call us to uniformity and the author of the Bible does not pray for uniformity but Jesus the author prays for unity in his high priestly prayer he prays father make them one even as we are one and if we don't have unity we will wind up making the body of Christ a corpse and if we don't unify we don't have ant sense because ants have sense enough to be unified and work as a fellowship. Are you with me? And I've discovered we've got more uniformity in the church than we've got unity. Today, unity is a great lack in the church. Instead of us being unified, we've gotten caught up in the divisive Christian competition syndrome. Well, there was another word I learned called neologism. I thought I'd bring that word, you know, y'all got this PhD pastor, so I thought I'd bring this word along with me. And uh, that word neologism means the science of the corning of words. And so there was a need to corn a term that best describes us. Can I give you the term? Versusism. Now, there's no such word as versusism. That's a corn word. But I discovered that in the church, it's the pulpit versus the pew. The pastor versus the deacons and the deacon versus the trustees and my clique versus your clique and the old territorial members versus the prepared and well-qualified new members. The choir versus the ushers and the men versus the women and the charismatics versus the fundamentalists and the unemotional versus the turned up and your denomination versus my denomination and the liberals versus the conservatives and the young contemporary hip hoppers versus the old traditionalists and the millennials versus the generation X's and the baby boomers versus the baby busters and the GI generation versus the silent generation. We're caught up in versusism. And as bad as that is, guess what I've come to see? And that is we will use versism to substantiate and bolster our versusism. In other words, I find a verse that supports where I am. And then you find a verse. And versusism coupled with versism is disrupting the church. But our text becomes biblical truth that if we let the Holy Ghost. And I know I'm in a Baptist church and we don't use that name a lot. But I'm going to say it again. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. 
In, in fact, look at your neighbor and say, Holy Ghost. It, it won't hurt you to say, Holy Ghost. And if we allow the Holy Ghost to do his internal work, he will unify us. Well, let me use some language from of old. Can I do that? He will make us one. Our foreparents used to say he will bind us so close until one can fall without the other. He will give us a love that runs from heart to heart and breast to breast. And don't tell me you've been baptized by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and you can't love nobody. The filling of the Holy Spirit will put men on one accord. And so as a result of the Spirit's filling and unifying power, chapter 3 of Acts opens with these familiar words. Now, and let me say it like this, old Peter and young John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Now, brothers and sisters, according to Psalm 55 and 17, there are three devout hours for prayer for devout Jews. Nine in the morning, 12 noon, and three o'clock in the afternoon. It was a consensus among the Jews that prayer was efficacious wherever it was offered, but they felt it was doubly precious when offered in the temple. And it is said that the older a thing gets, the better it is. That might be true with wine, but not true with the church. Would you believe the truth of the matter is the church at its birth was the church at its best. And one of the evidences of this fact can be seen that they gathered together for prayer. They were convinced of the fact that when the church gathered together, God would be in their midst. And they had a consuming zeal for the house of prayer. And united prayer meant something to them. But in our day, we don't share that same zeal. Because even though we call it the church, it's called really the house of prayer. I said, it is the house. I'm not making it up. That The church is called the house. Am I right about it? But you know, I, I think maybe we ought to just kind of do something away with that because, well, let me give it to you like this. I was in New Orleans and uh, I was staying at the Sheraton. We were in our National Congress and, and uh, so uh, we were staying on Canal uh, Street and uh, right across the street from where we were uh, was a Popeye's fried chicken. And uh, <clears throat> so Sam Gibbard and I, young Sam Gibbard and I from Houston, we decided we were going to go across you know, in June, you know, it's rather hot and humid in uh, New Orleans, right? And so we went across the street and we braved the heat. It gave us some chew the fat about it. And then we got the, over there and then there was a long line of kids. Well, we didn't mind it. It gave us time, you know, kind of get caught up. And so finally, when we got to place our order, that lady said, uh, we have uh, French fries and sodas and fried pie, but we don't have no chicken. Now, the sign didn't say Popeye's French fries. 
It didn't say Popeye's sodas and fried pies. It said Popeye's fried chicken. And if they didn't have chicken, that meant that they did not have what they advertised. And perhaps maybe we better just change some of the signs because if this is supposed to be the house of prayer and ain't a lot of praying going on in it, then that means we are falsely advertising some things. And I've discovered, brothers and sisters, how sad it is that in this 21st century church, if you really want to kill something in the church, turn it to a prayer meeting. And yet this is supposed to be the house. Do I have a witness? And the problem with so many in our churches today is that we've got too many who have been drugged with the drug of self-addiction and uh, we, we've got such a narcissistic and monogistic spirit. We, we want to operate all by ourselves and, and therefore uh, we want to pray all by ourselves and then try to justify praying alone. But the fact still remains the same. There's nothing like the church uniting at the church for prayer. Now, one would get the impression that after the excitement and the utopian experience of Pentecost, old Peter and John would have considered going to the temple for prayer anticlimactic because they were just freshly come from this spiritual excitement of Pentecost. But by the mere fact that they went teaches us something, and that is the Holy Spirit will not take you away from praise at the church. And the Holy Spirit will not take you away from prayer at the church. And there are those who say, I can pray uh, at home just as well as I can at the church. But I want to say to those with this narcissistic, monogistic spirit, and that is cut flowers don't last long. And so the record is that after the coming of the Holy Spirit, old Peter and young John, and I hope you get this, that I'm saying it like this, old Peter and young John as a team made their way to the temple to pray. And as they were about to enter the temple, the attention was providentially interrupted by a man who was carried and laid daily at the gate called Beautiful. Now there were ten gates to the temple, according to the Roman Jewish, uh, the Jewish uh, Roman center uh, by the name of Josephus. And that historian tells us that there are ten gates to the temple, and uh, we don't know exactly which one of the ten were actually the gate called Beautiful. What we do know is that it was a splendid spot for begging. And the reason we know it was a splendid spot for begging was because praying people were always coming and going. And it's hard for a man who is a praying man not to be compassionate to the poor. And you wonder why people come to the church now for a handout. Pastor, do you know what I discovered? And that is begging people seemingly know the theology of benevolence. 
they seem to understand that it's hard for a man who prays for mercy and is the recipient of the beneficent benevolence of the Lord not to be merciful. It's hard for a man who sings, pass me not to pass somebody. To have a witness? It's hard for a man who knows blessed are the merciful for they shall abstain mercy. It's hard for that man not to be merciful. And so as a result, the church is still the great almshouse of the world. As we look at this text, the first thing that claims our attention is the man's predicament. The record is that this man who providentially interrupted the attention of old Peter and young John was once again at his strategic location, which was his daily routine. Now Luke, who was a physician, become very descriptive of the man's predicament. Luke made it plain that this man was a possessor of a twofold affliction. His first affliction was lameness. Now Luke has us to know that there was a malformation in the man's ankle bones and the man's lameness made him utterly helpless. This man's lameness was congenital because he had been afflicted from birth and we learn from Acts chapter 4 verse 22 that he had been in this lame condition above 40 years. Now this man was a wretched Cripple, but to add to this man's lame condition was the fact the man was also poor. Now this man was crippled and destitute, lame and lonely, sick and broke, paraplegic and poor, helpless and hopeless. And because of his affliction, this man was once again deposited at his strategic location, which was the beautiful gate. Now, brothers and sisters, that's kind of an oxymoron and a contradiction because on one hand, you got a beautiful gate and at the same gate, you got lame humanity. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm going to do a little paradoxical work here because uh, this man, and that word paradox uh, means... Uh, Two parallel truths that seem to be contradicting and conflicting, but they're both true. And I want you to know that this lame man is an emblem of both the unredeemed and the regenerate. Now, in one hand, on one hand, humanity without God is helplessly lame. And like this beggar, our condition is congenital. Second Samuel chapter 4, we told that King Saul had a grandson named Mephibosheth. And he was lame because of a fall. And likewise, we are lame because of the fact, I said it this morning, that Adam was victimized by fake news. And he was victimized by snakeology. And all men are lame because of the fall of Adam. And our situation, brothers and sisters, is akin to bad cholesterol. For bad cholesterol is really based on family. And likewise, we are messed up because of family. And thus from birth, 
we are helplessly lame from our mother's womb. Now, from our mother's womb, we are in a deplorable state. We have been afflicted and crippled by the demagogic maladies of sin and evil, and our malady is congenital, and because our malady is congenital, and in our DNA, in our pre-conversion days, we are messed up from the head to the feet. I don't care how you try to cosmetize yourself from the spiritual standpoint according to the Bible we are messed up the theologians call it total depravity but but I want us to know like young folk we are tore up from the floor well you're looking at me so I, I want to I wanna do this you know we, we got this thing now where uh, you know, some of y'all got cell phones and y'all major in selfie. 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 Well, hashtag this. According to the Bible, our head is sick, our mind is reprobate, our conscience is seared, our thoughts are evil, our imagination is vain, our will is weak, our understanding is darkened, our brow is brass, our face is covered with shame, our eyes are blind, our ears are dull, our lips are unclean, our mouth is froward, wicked, deceitful, and no truth in them. Under the lips is the poison of a snake. I'm giving you a selfie. Our tongue is tameless, a fire, a world of iniquity. Under the tongue is mischief and vanity. Our speech is crooked, our teeth are set on edge, our breath is corrupt. Our throat is an open sepulchre, our neck is stiff, our heart is stony, deceitful, desperately wicked and foolish. Our bones are full of sin, our hands are full of blood, our right hand is deceitful, our inward parts are wicked, our loins are loathsome, our knees are feeble, iniquity is in our fingers and heel, our feet run swift to mischief, our flesh is failing, a schism is in our nature, we're too mean to live but we ain't fit to die, we're too grand to waste but too miserable to save. We're dead and dying We're walking, talking, but lifeless We're too dead to be alive But too alive to be buried The Bible says, according to the Apostle Paul, we are unprofitable. And that word unprofitable means something corrupt, useless, and gone sour, which means we deserve to be thrown away. Do I have a witness? And we are born unable to please God. We are helpless and we have no inherent means to help ourselves. We are in a lame, helpless, and broke condition. And there is no such thing as self-help. We are just like Humpty Dumpty. We've had a great fall. To have a witness. So this lame man says that on our own we are helpless and we're hopeless. But then, brothers and sisters, maybe we ought to say amen right now because it might not be uh, where you can say amen in a minute. Uh, on the other hand, this lame man is also a cameo of some believing Christians. Now, take note of this. The man was alive, but he had crippled feet. And that's the way some Christians are. They are spiritually alive, but they have unresponding feet. 
They are saved, but they are unuseful to the kingdom. They have warm hearts, but paralyzed feet. They are like the barren fig tree. They take up space, use up grace, and give no reproduction. Well, brothers and sisters, I've learned the word called agoraphobic. And I discovered we've got some agoraphobic people in the church. Now, the word agoraphobic means a fear of going outside. I'm going to say that again. Agoraphobic means a fear of going outside. And we've got some agoraphobic believers in the church. They worship, but they don't work. They do church chores, but they don't do the real work of the church. They testify to the saved, but they don't witness to unbelievers on the outside of the church. They can be found in the barracks, but they're never on the battlefield. They're in God's army, but they only wear civilian clothing. They carry a Bible, but they never use it as a sword. As all of their time is confined into the sanctuary, and they do not seem to understand that Old Testament religion is a come and see religion, while New Testament religion is a go and tell religion. Thus, they are never found in the highways and the hedges, and they have circumscribed the Christian faith to come hither rather than go yonder. And Christians with crippled feet have never read the biblical mandates to go and come. Consequently, there is not a lot of going because we've got too many in the church with crippled, unresponding feet, and thus they are more stationary than missionary. Thus, they are agoraphobic believers. They're always in here but never out there. Are y'all with me? And there are some people, and I had to tell you this, uh, brother pastor, I had to tell you this, but there are some people, they ain't lying when they say I'm saved and satisfied. <laughs> because that's all they want to do is to know I'm saved. But I'm here today to tell you that uh, if you fail to do some going, then you are guilty of betraying your role as a Christian. But look, secondly, at the man's position. Notice where this man was. It says he was at the gate of the temple. That was his position, at the gate of the temple. Now pay attention to the fact it never says he was ever carried in the temple. And I wonder who those people were who always brought him and placed him at the gate, but never carried him inside the gate. It was always at, but never in. What a tragedy. This man was brought and placed at the place of blessing, but never reached it. He was at the door, but eternally separate from God. He was at, but never in. And it's aggravating, frustrating, annoying, perplexing, baffling, and heartbreaking to know he was so close and yet so far. And, and I'm glad I'm following that young man because I won't tell you if there's anybody who can relate to the man's plight, it ought to be African Americans because for years we've had to deal with the fact of at but not in. Rosa Parks is called the mother of the civil rights movement because she got tired of being at but never in. 
Martin Luther King found the people that was ripe and ready for revolution and change. They were weary of being at but never in, so close and yet so far at the city hall but never in, at the mayor's office but never in, at the state house but never in, at the governor's mansion but never in, at the White House but never in, at the good bus seat never in, at the best restaurant never in it, at the first class hotel but never in it, at a good job but never in it, at a good house in a good neighborhood never in it, at but never in. And I had, I had to tell this contemporary millennial generation, and that is this, and I want to take my time on this little, little segment here. And that is, there are those who want to send us back. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care where you live. I don't care how much education you got. There are some people who still want us to be at but never in and that's why we have to deal with this overt fact it used to be kind of covert but it's now because of the white i'm sorry <clears throat> but with who's in the white house now it is no longer covert it is now overt and the overt fact is that every time we learn the game they change the rules and what I just said ain't fake news it's what you call unvarnished truth are y'all with me but now listen to this at but not in is not just a socio-economic problem. It's a spiritual problem. We got folk who act but they ain't in. They have what you call proximity religion and vestibule virtue. They have a loyal churchianity but not a living Christianity. They got a little involvement but no actual commitment. Uh, they have, that's why so many in our churches they have smorgasbord faith and free agency religion. There are a lot of people whose physical bodies are at church, but their spirits and mind are not in it. There are a lot of people sitting in the pews at the church, but their churches are not in it. A lot of people at worship, but they're not in it. There are a lot of members at the Bible, but they're not in it. You got deacons and trustees at the church, but they ain't in it. You got a lot of musicians at the instrument, they ain't in the song. A lot of choir members at rehearsal, but not in it. There are a lot of ushers at the door, and they're not in it. And sadly, you got a lot of preachers at the gospel, and they ain't in it. Uh, young people put this uh, on Facebook. Uh, I learned, yeah, put, put this on Facebook. Uh, there's a word called propinquity. Propinquity. P-R-O-P-I-N-Q-U-I-T-Y. Propinquity. That's a, that's a good word. That's a good word. Propinquity. Can you say propinquity? So somebody say, what did you learn to say? Well, I learned a word called propinquity. Now, what does uh, propinquity mean? It means nearness or proximity. And that's a problem with so many. They suffer from spiritual propinquity. They're in kingdom environment, in kingdom environment, on kingdom street, in kingdom community. They just ain't in the kingdom. You see, nearness to the kingdom does not necessarily mean that you're in the kingdom. 
You see, Jesus told the scribe, thou art far from the kingdom. He wasn't far from the kingdom. He just wasn't in it. And I'm standing this morning to tell you, you're not saved because you're in kingdom environment. And proximity to the church is no guarantee you're in the church. You see, you may be born to Christian parents. You may have a sacred heritage and a sanctified pedigree, but that's no guarantee you are saved. You may be at church, but that's no guarantee you're going to miss hell. You may have a seat in the church, but that does not automatically mean that you got a seat in the kingdom. Your name may be written on the church's roll, but that does not necessarily mean that your name is written in the Lamb Book of Life. You may be a Bible-toting, scripture-quoting individual, but if you don't know the God of the Bible, you just add but not in. You see, if you got a loyal church entity and not a living Christianity, you add but not in. If you are pious but not spiritual, you add but not in. If you got religion of the head, but you ain't got Jesus in your heart, you're at but not in. If you're in the sanctuary but you ain't in the Savior, you're at but not in. If you go through the rituals but you're not righteous, you're at but not in. If you are self-righteous but you ain't saved, you're at but not in. If you are moral but you ain't holy, you're at but not in. If you are self-addicted but not self-denying, you are at but not in. And when you're at but not in, that makes you a cheese wish Christian and a synthetic saint and cheese whiz is fake and synthetic is artificial. You see, nearness to Jesus and neither to the church is not synonymous with being in. In fact, nearness to Jesus is not synonymous with being in. Judas was near when he walked with Jesus. He just wasn't in. Herod was near when he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was at but not in. The rich young ruler was near when he asked Jesus about eternal life. He just wasn't in it. And do you not know something, brothers and sisters? The thief on the cross is proof. The one on the left side shows us you can see Jesus, talk to Jesus, and still go to hell. Are y'all with me? Now, the blessings... Uh, the, the Bible does not call us to be uh, close or near. Let me give it to you like this. I, uh, I'm, I'm going into 20 years. Uh, I was uh, diagnosed uh, 20 years ago with uh, leukemia. And I had a bone marrow transplant. Uh, I'm 19 years old. I'll be 20 in February of next year uh, post my transplant. And going through my transplant, I learned something. And that is, I learned what is called total chimerism. And uh, I discovered that total chimerism, uh, somebody wants to know what is total chimerism? Well, total chimerism is what is called hypostatic union. Okay, all right, you didn't, you didn't get that. Okay, all right, okay, total chimerism Hypostatic union is uh, mystical reciprocal indwelling. Uh, that 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 that's that's not that's that's not clear. Okay, let me see it like this: total chimerism, hypostatic union, mystical reciprocal indwelling. It's about I'm in him and he's in me. Are y'all with me? And brothers and sisters, the Bible says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will. And Paul says it like this. If any man be in Christ, 
Do y'all hear what I'm saying? If any man, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get that loud. But when I think about it, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. And I'm here today to tell you, I'm in him and he's in me. And guess what? Even though I am not new made, I have been made new. But now the Bible said that this crippled man was laid. Let me try to hurry. I don't want to hold you too long. But uh, this man, uh, he was requesting alms from Peter and John. And what this man was looking for was temporary relief. He was not looking for a permanent solution. And what this man wanted was comfort for his affliction rather than eradication of his ailment. And what he, this man was doing was he was dealing with his symptoms rather than his sickness. And so Peter responds to the man's request by saying, look on us. And the man responded with a look of expectancy. And to say look on us is bold and dangerous. And it's bold and dangerous because when you ask for a man's undivided attention, especially when that man is a helpless congenital cripple, you raise his hopes and expectation. And when you get a man's undivided attention, you ought to have something worth getting his attention about. And I've come to find out that humanity is still gazing on the church. Whether we want them to look on us or not, they're still gazing their attention on us, expecting to receive something from us. But the tragedy is that like the lame man, we are, the people are gazing at us, but we're like the nine disciples. We don't have the power to relieve their impotent conditions. There is a historical story that comes from the Renaissance period where St. Thomas Aquinas visited the medieval Rome and visited the papal palace of Pope Innocent II. And it said that when Thomas Aquinas walked in, the Pope was counting a large sum of money and said, Thomas Aquinas, see the church can no longer say to the world, silver and gold have I none. Thomas Aquinas responded by saying, yes, Pontiff, you are right. But neither can she say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the reason we can't say rise up and walk is because there is a famine of power. I said there is a famine of power in the church. Are y'all with me? And one of the reasons why there is a famine of power in the church is because there is a famine of the word in the church. Uh, when I told you just a moment ago about uh, my bone marrow transplant. Well, after uh, going through that transplant, my wife literally just goaded me to the fact that whenever you pick up stuff, look and see uh, side effects and all that kind of stuff. And so I got in the habit of looking at stuff and looking to see if uh, there was anything. And so one day I had a cold. And uh, I went to, we have a health food store called Simply Wholesome there in Los Angeles. And so I went uh, to the health food store to get me some tea that dealt with a cold. And so I picked up this box of tea and uh, I looked on the side of the tea bag and you won't believe what happened. That tea bag started preaching. 
I could not believe that a tea bag had a sermon for me. And, and, and anybody want to know what the sermon said? The longer you soak it, the stronger it gets. And I've discovered, brethren and sisters, the longer you soak in the... I, I wish I had a witness. The longer you soak in the word of God, the stronger you get. And I don't know about you, but every morning I, I try to do a little soaking. Is there anybody here? When, when I get up out of the bed, I get on my knees and say my prayers. And then I get my Bible and try to soak a little in the word of the Lord. Is there anybody here that knows what it means to say, I've soaked in the word. And because I've soaked in the word, I'm stronger. But then, not only do we have a word problem, but we got a, a prayer problem. See, we've we got a famine of prayer. You see, I, uh, I, I had a, a, a deacon, and uh, we used to kind of laugh at him uh, because uh, he did not have philosophical intellectuality. Uh, but what we didn't know until he died, and that was that he had, did have theological intuition. In other words, what I was really saying was his English was poor. And uh, he didn't care nothing about subject-verb agreements. And so every Monday night, he would stand and, and we kind of snickle up our sleeve until when he died, we discovered we were the one to be laughed at. And every Monday night, he would stand and he'd say, Children, uh, what prayer can't do can't be dead. Now that's bad English. Look at somebody and tell them what prayer can't do. Can't be dead. Now, I know that's bad English, but I declare. Do I have a witness? But then let me tell you something else. Uh, my mother, uh, she was a great philosopher and a great theologian. And uh, my mother, uh, when I preached her going home uh, services, and to show you how my mother was, uh, I didn't know nobody uh, that uh, was number one, she was 99, and uh, she only got sick uh, the last month of her life. And uh, I didn't know nobody else who had three funerals in three different states. And, and, and my mother, but she had what I call Mary-isms. And one of her Mary-isms was this, singing moves men, but prayer moves God. And then I thought, that since I was coming to Dr. Uh, Dates, I would have kind of a theological definition for prayer. And so uh, to kind of measure up to your pastor, uh, this is what I come up with. And that is, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. And brothers and sisters, I'm here today to tell you, if we don't correct this power problem, then we will always find ourselves embarrassed. Do I have a witness? But now notice Peter and John did not have a power problem because they didn't have a word problem. And then they didn't have a prayer problem. And you know, I discovered something and that is that every now and then God will send some storms our way because we are so caught up into some other stuff that's got us tied and tucked away until we can't pray like we ought to and we don't read the Bible like we ought to. 
and the story, there was a news story uh, that comes out of Dallas, and the news story is that there was a woman who was shopping at the North Park shopping mall, and uh, she was abducted by two men. They placed her in duct tape and wrapped her in a blanket, stuffed her in the trunk, and it appeared that their uh, agenda was to rape, rob, and kill the woman, but when they got to the outskirts of town, guess what they did? They took the woman out of the trunk and dumped her in the ditch. When she landed in the ditch, she began to murmur and complain to God. She said, God, you mean I'm your servant? I've been serving you all these many days, and now you're going to let me die in the ditch all by myself. While she was murmuring and complaining as if she was in Chicago, she began to hear the sound of lightning and thunder. And then all of a sudden, she began to feel pouring rain. And all of a sudden, she began to murmur and complain to God, God, you mean to tell me that I'm your servant, and now you're going to have the audacity to let me die in a ditch. This is her testimony, all by myself, and now you're going to let me die in a rainstorm. And guess what happened? The water from the rain got between her body and the duct tape, and she was able to wiggle her way free. And when she got home, she told her family, God had to send a storm in order to set me free. And every now and then, don't curse your storm. Because every now and then, God will send a storm to set you free so that you got time to reach, read the word of God and take time and pray. So let me just close this thing here now. Can you imagine Peter and John with no power problem? They walk up to the man and say to him, silver and gold, have I none? But now, I think Peter might have injected this part. And let me use my sanctified imagination if I can. I hear him say to the man all through the years, people have been giving you a donation. And you're still crippled. All through the years, people have been giving you a donation. And you still can't walk. All through the years, people have been giving you a donation. And you've never been inside of the temple. All through the years, people have been giving you a donation. And you're still in the same shape. All through the years, people have been giving you a donation, and you still have the same illness. All through the years, people have been giving you a donation, and you're still afflicted. All through the years, people have been giving you a donation, and you still have killed ambitions. I tell you, people have been giving you a donation. And you're still in the same shape. Peter said, what you need is not a donation. What you really need is deliverance. You don't need but never lunch. But what you need is a blessing. You don't need bread, but you do need the blood. You don't need cash, but you do need Christ. You don't need your ching, but you do need changing. You don't need charity, but you need compassion. You don't need finance, 
but what you need is a friend you don't need Jesus but you do need Jesus you don't need gold but you do need God you don't need loot but you do need the Lord you don't need help but you do need healing you don't need the material but you do need the spiritual you don't need money but you do need a miracle you don't need relief but you do need redemption you don't need remuneration but you do need release you don't need silver but you do need a savior you don't need support but you do need salvation you don't need a handout but you do need a helping hand I hear Peter say I've got something that's more valuable than money in fact I've got something that's better than money and without awakening faith in that man Peter reached out his hand and said in the name I said in the name in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and you don't know who Jesus is don't you well somebody might have slipped in and they don't know who Jesus is can I take a minute and tell you who he is Jesus he's the advocate he's the author and the finisher of our faith he's the second Adam he's the anointed one he's the babe of Bethlehem he's the bread of life he's the bright morning star he's the branch and the builder he's the Christ of God He's the captain of our salvation. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the desire of all nations. He's David's son. He's day spring from on high. He's the Emmanuel. He's the everlasting. He's the friend of sinners and the fountain of blood. He's the first fruit from the dead. I'm talking about Jesus. He's God's son. He's God with us. He's a high priest and he's our hope and help. He's our intercessor. He's the incarnate one. He's the jealous Lord. He's Job's horse pawing in the valley. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the lily of the valley. He's the life and the lamb. He's the light of the world. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the mediator, Messiah. He's the son of man. He's the lowly Nazarene. He's got a name that's above every name. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's the Omega, he's the pearl of great price, he's the prince of peace, he's the plant of renown, he's the rose of Sharon, he's the ransom for many, he's the rock in a weary land, he's the root out of dry ground, he's the stem of Jesse, he's the son of God, he's the stone hewed out of a mountain, he's the suffering servant, he's the savior of the world, he's the truth, he's the true mind, he's the unspeakable giver, he's the victor over death, hell, and the grave. He the word may flourish. He the living water. That's who Jesus is. I heard. I heard. I heard. Peter say in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the Bible said immediately. 
the man leaped up and stood and began walking and leaping and praising God. Now Peter didn't say what you do with blessed heel feet. He got delivered feet, but something on the inside told him what to do when you got healed and delivered feet. You ought to leap for the Lord. And that's the trouble with the church today. The Lord has been good to us. And somehow or another, we've lost our leap. But I've come this morning to tell you if the Lord has saved your soul, you ought to leap for him. If the Lord has written your name in the Lamb Book of Life, you ought to leap for him. If the Lord has picked you up and turned you around and placed your feet on solid ground, you ought to leap for him. If the Lord has saved your soul and made you whole, you ought to leap for him. I'm back this morning to tell you the Lord has been good. If he's been good to you, if the Lord has put bread on your table, shoes on your feet, clothes on your back, you ought to leap for him. If the Lord has made your enemy your footstool, you ought to leap for him. If the Lord, I said if the Lord has been a present help in the time of trouble, if you can say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat of my flesh? They stumbled and fell in the time of trouble. He'll hide. If he'll hide you. You ought to leave for him. Yeah. If he's been good to you. You owe the Lord a leap. And if you know he's worthy. Yeah. 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 Yes. If you know he's worthy, I said, if you know he's worthy, you ought not be ashamed to leap for the Lord. And the reason you ought not be ashamed, because he's not ashamed of you. And he's got every reason to be ashamed of me. But thank God, every time I get a chance, I tell the Lord, thank you. Thank you. Yay! He's been good to me. I said, He's been good to me. He brought me from a mighty long way. Yay! Yay! Yeah! Yes! You know, when I was a young child, I used to hear the old preacher say something that sounded like bad English. But because of how the Lord's been good to 
me. I got to ask you one time. Ernie, all right? looking at me and wonder why I act like this. You see, the problem with you is you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. You don't know how the Lord has healed my body. You don't know like I know how he made a way when there was no way. You don't know like I know many times he paid my bills and I didn't have a dime. Yay! to praise him about but I've got so much is there anybody here that can say if it had not if it had not I'm going to say it again if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side would I be? Hey! I declare I'm through. But I got one last thing to tell you. I know he's alright. Under you this morning, he's all right. You know, sometimes people don't have nothing to shout about. But here's what I want you to do for me, and I'm. I declare I'm through. I'm, I declare I'm through. I'm going to let you go. But I'd like, if you don't mind, 
just turn around. Just kind of turn around. Just kind of turn around. And, and kind of lean over. In fact, just lean over. Come on, lean over. As you turn around, lean over. And this is what I want you to do. See how far the Lord had brought you from. See how he made a way. How he brought you through. Made your enemies leave you alone. Hey! What do you know about Jesus? 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 He's alright. What do you know about Jesus? He's alright. Well, if you don't believe, I've been redeemed. Follow me down to the Jordan stream. Stepped in the water.